What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. The following is a Hoop Bowl presentation. If you woke up today and you looked up at the sun and you started to see purple and gold, I think you're just as itchy as we are over here at the Hoopball Lakers podcast for the basketball season to start. So welcome back and welcome in. As always, I'm your man, Ethan Noroff, and I am stoked to be joined by my man, Dan Bespris, on today's episode. Dan, welcome back to the show, baby. Yeah, it's uh, it's good to make a return here as uh, as just featured guest. This this uh, It allows me to be a little bit weirder, I think. You know, we love weird guests because I think the host of this show is pretty weird himself, but don't tell him I said that, okay? That's going to stay between the two of us. Yeah, I heard that. So we welcome we welcome that in Hootball Lakers land, and you know, I think this team actually has the potential to be pretty weird, but in all the right kind of ways, and we just call that funky in these parts. Oh, you know it's funky. Man, the countdown is on, dude. I am, I'm so excited for this basketball season, and that's, this by the way is coming from someone who actually really likes baseball, so I'm, I'm pretty content to watch the Dodgers basically just clobbering people every night but man this is going to be an incredible nba season i'm so excited these days are going so slowly though they really are and you know i could not have paid you money to do a better segue into a quick foray into baseball because the hottest team in baseball currently is my new york mets that's so true we just got a shout out to the boys right there worked themselves back into the playoff race neck and neck in the wild card and with that pitching staff they could stick tight with anybody but to get it back to basketball because you know that is the focus of this podcast after all and especially the lakers i think that's sort of going to be the theme of the Lakers season this year right nobody knows really what to expect in terms of maybe the ultimate potential the ultimate ceiling of this team but it feels like this roster should contend night in and night out regardless of who lines up against them i have i've i've spent a lot of time trying to be pragmatic about this whole thing and despite that i still feel like they can and that many times should beat most of the other teams in the nba it's just gonna i think it's gonna take some time though right because there's just so many new moving pieces with this club but once they figure each other out they can I mean, they have a good matchup with almost every team in the NBA. Well, you know, I think what's the most exciting part is just kind of what you mentioned is the chemistry piece because it's felt like at least going back to last season and probably the season before that too, prior to LeBron, they've been struggling to find that chemistry, that cohesiveness. And you knew it wasn't going to happen in year one of LeBron, especially as we knew the roster was going to change shape, right? But now that LeBron more or less has the roster that he wanted to have and expected to have, I think the chemistry is going to be built uh, in a series of steps. And, you know, when Frank Vogel was hired as Lakers head coach, one of the most valuable things, if not the most valuable thing that he said was that, look, we need everybody in this organization. And I don't mean just the players. I mean the players, the coaches, the janitorial staff, the front office, the back office, the side office, everybody involved in this picture, right? Everybody's got to be going on the same page together because that's how you build the cohesiveness within an organization. And it sure sounds like LeBron heard that message because now we've got wind that, you know, he's planning his first minicamp. All the Lakers teammates going to come together before training camp starts. And I think that's the page that this group needs to start on. Because like you said, there are so many new faces, so many new roles. And really, I'm not sure even LeBron knows what to expect, maybe even from himself, given the amount of time not only he's had off, but all the rest of these guys have had off as well. I mean, I know DeMarcus Cousins was playing late into the season, but he wasn't playing all that much for most of the season, including the playoffs. So I have, I have two thoughts on that. Number one, I think it's good, actually, that the Lakers – kind of have a lot of 
guys that oh historically you could call like kind of good clubhouse guys you know like the Danny Greens the uh, Jared Dudley I think is probably a really good example of that it, it, just in terms Definitely. of these these veterans that can that can help LeBron in this mini camp season because normally I think if you got a lot of veterans together and you ask them hey how badly do you want to practice in late September uh, for a season that doesn't start for another month. I'm thinking if you didn't give them any context in a vacuum, almost every one of them would say, no, you know, I want to rest my body. The summer is this rare opportunity for me to just like, I'm going to go work out at the gym. I'm going to lie by the pool. I'm going to do Pilates or whatever it is they're doing to like stay loose and stay limber, but they don't want to be, you know, two, three hour practices grueling through the the early fall that's not when the season starts but these guys know the the Dudleys the Greens the LeBrons and they can sort of put their arms around the young guys and say look this is critically important to for all of us to learn one another for LeBron who's going to be running point to know you know where you want the ball when he passes it to you cuz he's he's said in interviews this is something he needs to know about guys you know do you want it shoulder height knee height uh, thigh height whatever you know what well, where do you want the laces spinning when you catch the ball all these little things you know where uh, how do you move how fast are you there's all these little things that that go into understanding your teammates that are really hard to do on the fly when there's such little time for practice during the regular season you know when they have a day off between games a lot of the time the teams will just rest so that the guys don't break down and fall apart during the year. So, uh, you know, you only really see practices when teams have long home stands with, you know, maybe two get two days off in between games. They'll get in a nice practice. So this is an opportunity for the Lakers to come together early and try to wipe out just even a small fraction, even if it's 10, 20 percent of that adjustment period at the beginning of the year. That could be the difference between an eight seed and a five seed in the West or a six and a four or whatever it might be. Two wins could be colossal at the end of this year, uh, especially if LeBron and AD need to miss any time for injury. So I, I think it's a really good plan. I, I love that the team is kind of coming together around the idea, uh, and it sounds like they're all going out to dinner together also, which um, the first thing that popped into my head is it's probably not the right thought, but I feel like that's going to be a really expensive dinner. <laughs> it's going to be a really expensive dinner. LeBron James, Kyle Kuzma is going to bring the wine. And, you know, I agree with everything that you said, especially the start of the year, because the difference between seven and three and five and five is a good start or a disastrous one, even though it's only two games in the first 10. That's 20%. Remember, quick math. I'm a teacher after all. That's right. But the real thing that I have to say is I agree with literally everything you said, except one thing I have to cause a gripe over, and it's this. Dan, you know, we live in Southern California. It's not Pilates, it's goat yoga. That's the new craze down here. <laughs> Okay. That, so, so just in case anyone's wondering, goat yoga, if you've never heard of it before, literally we have it at our school as well. It is exactly what it sounds like. It is goats standing on top of people while they stretch and do yoga. Yes, I am not kidding. California, I love, I love this place. I love where we live. But man, we got some weird stuff going on out here. Without question, you know, I, I kind of always I maybe it's just because we're desensitized to it. I think that's really it. Yep. But you know, I go down to Hollywood and onto Hollywood Boulevard and you see the guy dressed like Spider Man, you don't even do a double take. No. You see all these tourists going, What in the hell is happening there? And I'm like, Oh yeah, that's normal. Yeah. And maybe that's a little bit about me, maybe it says a little bit about LA, maybe it's a little bit of both, but regardless, I think we've become you know, we've become a group of people who expect the unexpected, but I mean the truly unexpected. So whether it's goat yoga, goat cheese, goat milk, 
Goat anything else like I, I mean there's a shoe app out there called Goat that you can buy and sell Jordans from so Goat is pretty <laughs> universal these days and of course in sports it's the greatest of all time and that's the title LeBron's vying for after all you know I, as my wife and I were driving yesterday we we had a long slow arduous drive through mid city during rush hour and so we had time to look at all the different you know storefronts did, and stuff did like you, that did did you bring any stone fruit with you for that drive. We did not, but I do have a peach in the fridge right now. I like I like it to be cold. I don't know if that's weird or I, not. I, no, it's not weird, but after this podcast, I want you to go into that fridge, grab that peach, hold on to it, slice it real nice, and enjoy every bite, okay? Oh, it's going to be great. I need something to wake me up, and maybe that'll do the trick. All I was oh, going to say is that, that... That natural sugar, baby, you already know. I know, I know. I, well, just to the L.A. thing, so you and I both were, were raised in Los Angeles, so like we're, we have the background of understanding this weird stuff, but we saw a storefront yesterday uh, that mm-hmm. the store was called Ethical Drugs, Ethical mm-hmm. Drugs, and mm-hmm. and as we started to talk about, it, we realized it could be any number of like fifteen different things inside of that store, depending on what neighborhood in L.A. you found it in. Where oh, without question, right? Like so, in Mid City, it was all actually with very different federal classifications. Exactly, right? exactly. I was like, look, if you found that in, well, it was in Mid City. Uh, it was like right on the the bridge between Mid City and K Town, so it actually was just a regular pharmacy. It was the the most bland answer to the question of what was it really? But I mean, if you saw that in Venice, definitely a dispensary. Uh, if you saw that in probably my neighborhood, so like Brentwood, Santa Monica, it'd probably be like a gourmet cupcake house called Ethical Drugs, and you'd be like, "Well, I don't understand." And they'd be like, "Yeah, you're not it's supposed low to." It's no sugar and it's gluten free. That's right. You, you're not supposed to understand. <laughs> and that's um that's the world that we live in down here. And I think and I'm okay. I'm actually okay with people saying we're weird because we are and we love it. We embrace the weird. So welcome to SoCal, everyone. Where we're we, what were weird, we talking we're about? Wild and you know LeBron likes to call it home. So no matter what, that's we must be right. doing something right here, right? Yep. Well, we got Hollywood, so that helps. I'm gonna take I'm gonna take all the credit for the weather as well because you know we all control that. I had a person who has lived in I think seven different countries tell me that LA is his favorite of all, and I was like, "This isn't a country." And he's like, "Well," <laughs> I'm like, "Okay, well, I yeah, guess." I mean- it really is a melting pot. You know, you meet people from all walks of life all over the earth. And, you know, people come together in search of what's considered greener grass, I think, a lot of the time. But, you know, the, tr- the trick is with L.A. is there's so many great cultural places. But what you have to avoid is you have to avoid going into basically like an echo chamber or siphoning off yourself. And here's what I mean by that. No matter where you live, people tend to uh, default in the same routine, same rhythms, same bar every Friday night, same restaurant every Saturday night, et cetera, et cetera. And you can do that anywhere, Los Angeles included. So if you never go out and extend yourself to experience new culture, new experiences, whatever it might be, you can find yourself saying, hey, you know, LA is not that exciting of a place to live. I think people overhype it, but yada, 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 right? Grass is always greener no matter where you grow up. But at the same time, you really stop and look around and smell the the trees, so to speak, and you don't miss the forest for just the collection of trees, I think you really start to see all these people, all these places, everything coming together to create this experience of living that so many people aspire toward and only a select number get to actually experience successfully. That was nice. That was nice. I like that. That was nice. You know, I mean, I think it's I think it's important to recognize that, you know, perspective is a powerful motivator. So that's what we like to do on this show. Lakers, motivation, all in the name of winning, man. Life, basketball, intersection of both. That's how we do it. Okay, so uh, while we're on the topic of life, basketball, and motivation, uh, can we talk about what a what a garbage heap of life, basketball, and motivation the NCAA is these days? 
Oh, well, you have to believe in the NCAA in general just to get even offended or upset by it. But, you know, this whole new thing with the Rich Paul rule, for lack of a better way to call it, look, as somebody in education, here's what I say. My biggest challenge as an educator is to incentivize education. And here's what I mean by that specifically. Most people, if they're on a college path, they go to school, they go through elementary school, middle school, high school, they go to college of choice, they wind up graduating, but then they've got an amount of student loans, they can get a job that might repay the student debt over 20 years, 30 years. Mm -hmm. Oh, by the way, I have to live on this too in the interim. And you never really get out of the hole that you put yourself in because you wanted to be higher educated, but you wind up in a job that you didn't really want anyway. So it's a really, really difficult sell, especially in a society where there are more self-made people than probably ever before in terms of entrepreneurial mindsets and in terms of businesses that can actually be sustainable. I mean, look at what YouTube has literally opened up. We have e-gaming now, right? You guys can be 300 pounds sitting on mom's couch and making six figures because they're on the Dallas Mavericks uh, e-gaming squad. And I don't mm -hmm. mean to specifically squad on the Mavericks gaming squad. The Lakers have one too. They all got one. But it's just sort of we're experiencing a paradigm shift in what work, quote unquote, looks like, right? I mean, look at us doing it from home, you know, people who are constantly working from home, but their work is everywhere in the world. So there has been a paradigm shift in that regard. But at the same time, I do believe in the power of education in terms of you being equipped with the tools that you need to succeed in your field or area or areas of interest. So if education is used more through a lens of life skills and you getting what you need to pursue the path that you're going to pursue, then it makes more sense. And I know for some people listening might say, hey, that kind of sounds like a vocational school, right? You go, you learn a specific trade, then you use that trade in your job. And that's one of the reasons I think trade schools are actually going to make a pretty big comeback in this country is because A, the cost of accessing them is way lesser than out of a university, mm -hmm. but B, it gives you a very defined skill in an area or an industry that isn't going away, right? We're always going to need plumbers. We're always going to need mechanics. We're always going to need craftsmen. We're always going to need hair and makeup artists, right? Those are things that aren't going away in our society anytime soon. They may be changed over time, but they're permanent in the sense that that role will remain. I mean, look at toilet paper. Toilet paper hasn't changed from when it was invented. And in case anyone is confused, because I just had to have this conversation <laughs> this morning, the toilet paper, when there is a new role to be put on, it flows from the top end, not from the bottom. In case anyone is confused, let's make that very clear. Yeah. And I'm sure Rich Paul's toilet paper is not only double, uh, I was going to say double cushioned or double stuffed, but oh, two, two ply. It's probably three ply. Yeah. And the reason is because he's been able to build a successful business based off of marketing himself and attaching himself to LeBron. Let's not ignore that, right? That's a huge driver in the equation. But no matter who you're attached to, you as an individual have to have some level of sensibility, um, idea of what you're doing, et cetera, et cetera, in order to be successful. And Rich Paul has only grown over time. So for the NCAA to sit here and try to put forward a punitive style of agent certification, quote unquote, I mean, really, quote unquote, on that one, right, in order to prevent unqualified professionals, et cetera, et cetera, it just feels like another hollow transparent lack of anything moved from the NCAA that really is just going to distance more people away from them. And as we've seen, especially with the class of 2020 coming up, RJ Hampton, LaMelo Ball, right? These kids are going to start avoiding the NBA or excuse me, avoiding the NCAA in order to get to the NBA, right? Because the yep. NCAA right now is just seen as a limiter and they're doing nothing to correct that image. They're doing, I mean, I remember reading an article you going back maybe 10 years ago or so at this point, that the NCAA literally denied eligibility of a homeless running back because he stayed with a friend on his couch for a period of time, and they consider that an additional benefit. Like Idiotic. when you exercise that level of compassion, you're going to get the big middle finger at pretty much anything you do. They've 
they've uh, they've certainly earned it here over the last little stretch. And the thing that that and I, I want to do my best job here to not make this sound political in any way because. I mean, it is obviously the NCAA has sort of created, has sort of turned itself into a political entity to some degree. But this is not my goal. I want to preface what I'm about to say with don't like whatever side you're on. I'm not attempting to piss you off. Uh, but what what really upsets me is there's a there's an inherent hypocrisy to what they're doing here, because you know that the the people that are trying to institute this ridiculous rule. I thought I think you called it punitive, which I thought was was pretty apt. You know the people that are trying to put this rule together are the same people that are arguing for the the power of kind of private sector, the power of private business, the power of private enterprise, which is exactly what Rich Paul is, right? So why are we limiting that? Why? Are, well, simple, because the NCAA wants to continue to you know make money hand over fist, and coaches make a ton, and uh, the players don't get paid, and it just it doesn't make any sense. It's 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 mind-boggling hypocrisy, and it's incredibly upsetting. Is there anyone outside of the actual NCAA bubble that thought that this was a good idea? I, don't, I haven't seen a single person. It's like the one thing where all of Twitter agreed. It's amazing how the NCAA can literally unify a platform that is known to be divided over almost every issue imaginable including our current state of politics and everybody regardless of what side they're on could come together and say hey the ncaa is full of that brown stuff that comes out of the backside of most of us it's incredible it really is it's a common enemy claim to if really like if that's their claim to fame then what is the point because you're not supporting student athletes in fact you're limiting them and you're trying to tell them you're not a student athlete in fact you're really only a student you're not an athlete because you shouldn't be entitled to any benefits that come from your hard work you produced these results and we're not going to give you anything in return for them in what other line of work whether you're a 15 year old child actor or a 55 year old ceo where that where, would that logic work and everybody would be like, you know what that makes sense let's do that nowhere and then there's they have the gall to slap the restriction of needing a ba to represent these players that they're trying to keep from getting any money it's like oh well you actually you need to you need to go through the four years of college that we're making incredibly difficult for you to go through in order to represent the people that we're screwing right now what an absurd but you're right though i mean maybe if this is the ncaa's claim to fame they are the one thing on earth that can unify twitter so congratulations to uh the worst organization uh currently available for uniting twitter in our hatred you know, of the NCAA. It's, it's amazing. And, it, and, it, and, it's, and it's really sort of an amazing parallel because in California specifically, in order to become a credentialed teacher, it is a very hard, long, and exhaustive process. So much so that it literally drives qualified applicants out by default because what most people will say is, why am I spending so much time and energy and, and money, might I add, mm -hmm. in order to take these tests, get these certifications that don't really mean anything intrinsically to me to prove that I'm a good teacher and effective teacher, to which I know I already am because I've spent this many years teaching or I've spent this much time teaching however it is, you can know all the content in the world, but if you don't put it in practice, it doesn't really matter. And now for you know the median salary, I want to say is something like $50,000 for a teacher in Southern California. So I could put in half the effort, make double the amount of money, and you're telling me I should be a teacher. Why? Because unfortunately, most people are motivated by the money, right? And I don't mean unfortunately like you shouldn't go after money. I just mean unfortunately that most people tie their purpose to the amount of money that they make. And that's a dangerous way to define yourself. 
But it's the same thing. It's that saying, why? Instead of just saying, hey, we're going to come observe you for a week in your classroom for a month, for a year, whatever the timeline is, to show us that you can be an effective teacher, it's how much stuff do you know on paper? Okay, great. Now we're going to call you a teacher, even though we've never observed you. We don't know what your classroom management skills are. And now we're going to say you can teach any classroom if it's a multi-subject credential, K through 8, or a single subject. Yeah, you have a science credential. That sounds great. Any classroom, ninth grade through 12th grade, never ask any class questions about classroom management. But you're fine because you know all the stuff and things. It is just a level of absurdity that does not tie content to practice. I mean, just because somebody knows everything on Jeopardy doesn't mean they're going to be the most effective person in that line of business or in that industry, right? They can know all the trivia behind it. They don't know how to practice it or how to implement it. And that's the whole part of this is, is the NCAA is acting as if they have unilateral authority to declare what's right and what's wrong. And clearly what's been wrong this entire time is the image that stares back at them collectively in the mirror. For me, this all pairs down to just the simplicity of this guy is good at his job and they're pissed about it. Simple as that. There's no other reason. They're, and they're pissed about it because it didn't happen on their terms. Let's right. be very clear. Yeah, exactly. So that's stupid. We'll keep an eye on that, I guess. I mean, it's it's not it's Lakers podcast relevant because this is sort of like Team LeBron getting attacked. That's a bad villain to pick or a bad enemy to pick. Also, yeah, you know, the, the guy who's about to take on all the monsters and defeat them and has already established an <laughs> empire both on and off the court. You really want to go fight that fight? God bless. Good luck. I'm going to stay out your way because you're about to get squashed. Let's talk about uh, let's talk about Kyle Kuzma. And uh, you want to talk about his frosted tips? I, I, have was about, I, was about, I was about to ask about that. Actually, I feel like the news obviously is him playing with Team USA, but the news news is that hairstyle goodness gracious okay look, so that, look i'm, I'm out that of touch is real news. i'm out of touch with what the kids do these days you're you're an educator so you're around youth uh what does the youth say about this because to me you know i'm you know shouting at clouds and telling people to get off my lawn and all that stuff he looks ridiculous with that hairstyle but i'm obviously out of touch so here's the thing. Let me throw it back to my bar mitzvah very briefly, okay? Because I once had the Frosted Tips look, and it was around the time of the bar mitzvah. I remember rocking it very proudly. Spiked, spiked you hair. You know the deal. 13 years old, round face. It was like a Jewish kingdom in there. Yeah. But now, really I, but like now I fast forward 17 years like later it. as a 30-year-old man, and we've seen a similar hairstyle being worn before. If you remember, Marcus Smart kind of rocked this at one point in his Celtics I tenure do. not so long ago. But with Kuzma, I think it's interesting because you know, his hair – the style itself has evolved since he's been in the league. And you got to remember, he's been spending a little bit of time around the Kar Kardashian, uh, I was going to uh -oh. say the Kardashian clan, but that's probably not the right term, Kardashian group these days. And I'm sure that has had some level or levels of influence. But I think this is more about Kyle Kuzma. You know, not only is he sort of defining himself as a basketball player, or at least in the process of defining himself as a basketball player, but I think more than anything, he's sort of defining himself as, as, as a young man, right? I mean, this is a guy, Flint, Michigan. He was drafted in 2017. You know, he's 20-whatever years old, 24 years old, I think he is. And for, and for Kuzma, yeah, he's 24, just turned 24 this summer. And for Kuzma, I think this is just sort of him sort of establishing who he is on his own terms, right? Because let's go back to the first year. He was the 27th pick. He was the guy that the Lakers got in the trade to get rid of D'Angelo Russell and to get rid of Tim Timothy Mozgov. Like, 
that's kind of how he was viewed. And then he was viewed as, oh, this guy can actually play a little bit. He's a nice surprise, right? That sort of became his label, for lack of a better way to say it. Then in year two last year, it was, oh, how good is Kyle Kuzman going to be? And even though he did increase his scoring average, even though his assists were slightly up, even though his field goal percentage was slightly up, his three-point percentage was way down. And I think for a lot of people, he didn't really meet expectations, myself included, because he didn't show he could be anything more than a scorer, right? He didn't really play defense. He wasn't really necessarily the guy who gave the extra effort on every play out there. He was sort of, again, defined by ulterior, exterior uh, circumstance. And I think now this is Kyle Kuzma very much defining himself for who he is because he realizes, look, yeah, I want to be the third star on this team, but I know there's going to be so much attention on LeBron James, so much attention on Anthony Davis that I can sort of operate in the shadows. And whether I dye my hair blonde, purple, or blue, or whatever other color, the questions are going to be few and far between because of the focus on those guys. So this is a big year for Kuzma in terms of who he is as a man, but also who he is as a player. And I think this is his first opportunity, at least professionally, to define it on his terms instead of through everybody else's. Does that make sense? Well, I mean, they didn't call you the Ashkenazi and Nick Lachey for nothing, right? Hey, yeah. there you go. Thank you. Um, yeah, I mean, okay, but it's still kind of silly, isn't it? Yeah, but, you know, I, I, look, when I was 24, I was doing some silly stuff too, weren't you? Uh, I don't know. I was an old man at 14, so <laughs> I'm a bad you know, example. I was, just, I was just trying to think about how much hair I had left at 24. I just got out of the barbershop. I'm clean, clean shaven right now, looking like the actual Mr. Clean has come to life. And I was trying to think about 24. You know, I think the last time I grew my hair out and actually tried that look, I was 21, 22 maybe when I realized it was thinning on top and getting longer on the sides and said, yeah, let's not do this anymore. So I think for Kuzma, it's just sort of a, a different look, a different vibe. And, you know, maybe it's something to do with the fact that this Lakers team has sort of turned over. Because remember, Kuzma was grouped into those young guys as well. You know, all those guys that got traded, Lonzo, B.I., Hart. He was part of that group. And now very clearly he's standing on his own. Maybe he wants to make an effort to stand out for that reason too. Well, I wouldn't be surprised by that it's working it's working we can you can notice him now that's for damn sure and i you know what on, the, on another note and i'm gonna stop making fun of kyle kuzma's hair because again i i really don't know what what's best and and like yourself my hair uh thinning you've got a head start on me i'm I, and you also have a you have a much better head than i do when my hair is gone i'm gonna be a hat guy without question uh what about the team well, usa experience I mean, for him I mean, I'm a hat guy, but my head, for somebody who has to shave his head, it could look a lot worse. Let's put it like that. Yeah, mine would be a, a disgusting, bumpy, weird mess. I, I don't, I can't go down that road. I think. Give yourself more credit, Dan. I think that people want to see you without hair. Okay, listen, Hoopball Lakers pod, we need you, fam. If you want Dan to shave his head, all we need you to do is retweet us, hit it with the hashtag Dan shaves it all, and then we're gonna see if we can get that <laughs> trending on Twitter because that would really be something fun. I think we need to be more careful with that hashtag. No, I'm purposefully saying it just like that. Dan shaves it all. Gonna be Dan of, shaves it all. There's going to be a lot of back and leg hair involved in this, too. I am imagining the scene from 40-Year-Old Virgin with yep. Steve Carell getting his chest wax, and I am hoping to replicate it. Um, Yeah. I, actually, no, Steve Carell and, and Robin Williams are like the two famous people that probably have more hair than I do. So that um, at least won't be quite as severe. What about uh, – so, listen, on, on another note here, and, and we can tap on this pretty quickly – do you think there's any advantage to Kuzma playing on Team USA? We've heard before that it kind of it really helps people develop a certain uh, there's a chemistry thing that goes into it. There's kind of a leadership thing that goes into it. I don't know if I'm I don't know if I'm sold on it being uh, necessarily a good or bad thing, but I guess I guess I could be pushed either way. Do you have any strong feelings on it? 
Not particularly, honestly. Yeah. And I think that, you know, to try and come and say, oh, Kyle Kuzma or any other player should play USA basketball because of this or shouldn't because of that. I just think the reality is it's an experience for those who want it. Uh, I think Kyle Kuzma is young enough where it's not really going to impact his availability or his longevity or his sustainability this season. So for the guys who want that experience of having USA across their chest, being coached by Greg Popovich and the crew, like I, I get it. I think it makes sense. But at the same time, I'm not going to sit here and say, oh, Kyle Kuzma played for Team USA this summer. Man, he's about to have a huge year. Or, oh, watch out. It's sort of like the home run derby, right, in baseball. It's, oh, don't go to the home run derby. You'll never hit another home run after that. Like There are these not myths, but I think sometimes um, blips in the radar that sort of become uh, dramatized or sent it out to become uh, these ideologies that are powered by uh, logical fallacies and just straight up falsehoods a lot of the time. So I think for Kuzma, it's just an experience to have the experience. I do think it'll be good for him to experience playing with, with players he hasn't before, if and only if that's going to be because that's going to be the scenario for him this year. Yep, I'm with you. All right, we don't need to belabor that point, I guess. Anything else you want to talk about on this one? We're, you know, we're just trying to stay uh, stay in touch with the the loyal Hoopball Lakers folks. I, I feel well, like there I was... Think- yeah, there was one I, other thing we had on our list, and I can't remember what it was now. I think the biggest thing for that Lakers fans are, are probably interested in in terms of the construction of this roster, because right before we came on air, you know, you and I were like, look, after this summer, you know, this is typically the dry spell of the NBA season, but after the flurry of activity, it doesn't feel like a dry spell. It feels like you haven't had anything to drink for three days, and you're walking around the Sahara looking for that vending machine to appear out of nowhere, right? So I think for the Lakers, the biggest thing on the docket is how and when will they fill out that 15th roster spot. So if you remember last season... Lakers carry that open spot for a long time because they wanted the flexibility, whether it was trade deadline, whether it was buyout market, or whether it was just some player who became available that they didn't expect, right? And I think this year, it's probably going to be a similar scenario because if there was somebody on the market, right? I know there's been a lot of Carmelo Anthony noise. Carmelo got himself back in front of the camera this uh, recently. He got on first take with Stephen A. Smith, did the interview. And so it started up the chatter again of, you know, Carmelo deserves a second chance. Oh, the Lakers might be a logical landing spot. Look, I get that narrative from two years ago, three years ago, but right now the reality is the dude hasn't played nba basketball in about a year and i don't really think he's the right fit for this roster because yes he's a wing but what the lakers really need in that 15th spot is a defensive minded wing and that player who comes to everybody's mind at the exact same time is of course andre Andre iguodala right he's still rotting in memphis for lack of a better way to say it memphis came out and said oh we're gonna trade him we're not we have no intention of buying him out but there hasn't exactly been a lot of movement on the trade market so we could sit here and get all the reports in the world that the rockets are interested they're ready to make a deal etc etc the reality is everybody kind of knows hey memphis there's no way you're going into the year with andre iguodala on your roster and iguodala doesn't want that either so i don't think that the grizzlies have as much leverage as they want to think that they have but if iguodala does become available i think that's the player the lakers could add to this roster and really look up and down and go wow this is the squad you know what really hurts memphis is that two of the teams two of the main teams that are probably going to be lusting after him the lakers and the clippers literally sent out every asset they have for the next half decade they have nothing they can trade for him so that takes two big leverage teams out of the mix Memphis is going to get stuck taking some second rounder or just calling it a day and buying him out because the teams that would overpay for him have nothing they can give. 
A hundred percent. And that's and that's the reality is, you know, look, Memphis can sit here and play the asset extraction game all they want. But the reality is they already got paid a first round pick to take his contract. Sometimes you just got to know when to move on. And Memphis has, you know, they've sort of reconstructed their roster and tried to uh, redefine who they are as a team and as a culture. And I if Iguodala has real value there, which I think he does in terms of sort of turning over that page then that's great, but Iguodala doesn't want to be there. Not at this stage of his career, not after coming off the tenure he had with the Warriors. It's very clearly obvious that he's going to go to a contender, whether that's tomorrow, whether that's two weeks from now, or whether that's three months from now. Iguodala will not finish this season with the Grizzlies, no. and I think the, that sometimes in basketball, front offices need to be more considerate of, okay, we might not get the asset that we want in this situation, but maybe we can create a relationship with this agent that'll come back and earn us an asset in the long run. So sometimes you got to sacrifice the short term for the long haul, you know? Yeah, you saw that actually with Phoenix last year for the first time in a long time. The Suns trying to position themselves as a more friendly to the player organization by basically just giving Tyson Chandler to the Lakers. You know, that was that was a spot where there was no reason for them to get rid of him in November or whatever it was. I mean, they could have held out until February to see if they could get anything at all. But James Jones who was sort of freshly running a team, was like, you know what, I'm going to start rebuilding some some clout with agents because that is part of the beast. And I know everybody's like, what a favor to LeBron James. Yeah, but, you know, a favor to LeBron James is a favor to Rich Paul, a favor to whoever is representing Tyson Chandler. Is that also Rich Paul? I don't know. Uh, and, you can, I mean, you can knock out a few birds with one stone with a little thing like that. That didn't really cost Phoenix anything at all, but suddenly two agents now are looking, I think it's two different ones, I don't know, are looking at the Suns and saying, all right, maybe you guys are not the goat takes a crap in the front office that you were of two years ago, which, by the way, bringing the whole our goat topic from earlier full circle on this podcast, uh, that's a type of thing that can be done. Here's the difference, though, um, and obviously I want Memphis to just let Iguodala go, He's a better player than Tyson Chandler. He's a guy that they should be able to get something for. So I can't kill them yet. But if they're still hanging on to him all the way up until the trade deadline, at that point, you know, the offers are going to be on the table. They're going to know what they're, what's available. So just pull the trigger a little bit earlier, Memphis, whatever it is that you're going to be doing. And, uh, you know, Ethan, you and I can just hope that he ends up in L.A. on the, uh, the team wearing purple. Yeah, and then, you know, Tyson Chandler, not represented by Rich Paul. I know that client list is growing, actually, by Jeff Schwartz. Interesting. But the point is the same in that it's an it's a relationship game. And this, this is what I tell my students, too, is, look, I can sit here and tell you I know this, I know that, I know this, and I know that. But until you know that I actually care about you or what it is that you care about or a combination of those things, really, the entire person, then they're not going to care about what I have to say. And I think it's the same thing with any kind of relationships. Now, going back to basketball, you know, the agent-client relationship is basically like a sacred one. Some players even refer to their agent or their agents as father-type figures, brother-type figures, mentors, et cetera, et cetera. So you, with the Lakers, I mean, look, former agent Rob Palinka is literally running the Lakers. Yep. So when you sit here and think about the power of those relationships, those small moves can have very big payoffs, especially when it comes to trade requests, f- steering players in free agency, et cetera, et cetera. And if you're a team like the Grizzlies, a team like the Suns, a team that's going to have to come up through the mud in order to try to rebuild themselves and is probably never, ever, ever going to get a marquee free agent unless something absolutely crazy happens in the process, they're going to have to start building these relationships in order to reverse the perception. Because right now, 
even like even if you look at across the NBA, if a player's options is, oh, I could go to the Suns and get paid there, I could go to the Grizzlies and get paid there, I could re-sign on my teams, kind of stay mediocre, but at least I'll get paid here that I know will be more successful, that player's probably going to re-sign with, the, with their current team regardless because those other teams, and it's not really a knock on, on the Grizzlies' culture as much as it is a knock on the Suns' culture. It's just that they don't have the agency relationships. They don't have that long-term will built up, and you have have to start somewhere. So when you have to sacrifice the short term for the long haul, usually what you desire is a payoff at the end. And that's really what these franchises need to be thinking about. And, and in a weird way, it's sort of the same idea when these teams, they invest in, you know, the best assets. So we say, oh, we got the best workout equipment. Oh, we have the best practice facility. Oh, we got the best this. And they put all their money into things, but then they cheap out in the front office and they don't hire the best potential front office candidates or coaching candidates because they feel like they want to get a deal there. It's like you're willing to spend all this money for things, but you're not willing to spend the money on people who can control the things and can actually get you a greater return on investment. I think when you think about it like that and investing in the front office as an investment in the overall picture, that's how you start playing chess when everybody else is playing checkers. And as an example of the opposite side, see L.A. Lakers and Aaron Mintz of CAA. There's a relationship between a team and an agent that exploded and cost the Lakers potentially any D'Angelo Russell stuff, Julius Randle stuff, Paul George stuff. He had his hands in all of that and a lot of bad experiences certainly wiped out any chance that the Lakers had of, of kind of rectifying those situations. So it, it definitely works in both ways. Make a good relationship. Try not to burn any bridges too. I mean, a lot of this stuff can be repaired, but sometimes you burn it beyond repair, and that may have been what we saw in that spot. So, um, yeah, I think you and I are on the same page with that as well. Uh, I, I got nothing else. I don't know. You got anything else on the list? I think that's just about it. You know, I'm excited for, for the actual basketball to start. I feel like, you know, we've talked a lot of offseason narratives. You know, Lakers obviously now have their two two-way players as well. So really their only open roster spot is that 15th and final NBA spot. You got Zach Norvell Jr. on the two-way. You got Kosa Satanakumpo on the two-way. And it looks like the Lakers are pretty set. I know we haven't <laughs> talked a lot about Taylor Horton Tucker this summer because he didn't play in summer league. Nobody really knew about him. I mean, I don't want to say it like that, but nobody really knew about him until draft night. And I think that's going to be my next area of curiosity is just sort of seeing what type of role if he can carve out a role in his rookie season I don't necessarily anticipate it given all the veteran experience on this team and the stakes in place but if Taylor Horton Tucker can be any kind of x-factor I just think it elevates the ceiling of this team that much higher I couldn't help but glom onto your mentioning uh Kosa Sanatakumpo you want to talk about relationship building <laughs> I mean, and, and look, and I think that's the reality of where most people's minds are going to go. But for me, it's more like, look, Jonathan Williams didn't seem like a candidate to come back on a two-way unless he sort of just took the backseat in and took the qualifying offer, which, fine, he winds up signing overseas anyway. So to be able to claim Antenna Kupo, watch his development, and obviously anytime you share a last name with Giannis, people are going to give you more looks than if you shared a name with Noroff. I'll just throw it out there myself. But, you know, I don't know that that means all the Lakers are going to get Giannis 2021, but it certainly can't hurt their case, right? That's right. That's right. Every little bit. If it goes from 1% to 2%, we'll take it. We'll take it. Hey, you know what? I'm going to go have some stone fruit. As long as you make sure that you enjoy every bite of that peach, and because we're talking about the Stone Fruit Minute, I have to throw it out there. Yep. It is officially mango nectarine season. Load up, 
Make sure you enjoy every bite. If you're a Seinfeld fan, it's like the Mackinals. They're only around for two, three weeks, then they're Audi 500. So make sure that you take advantage of your local farmer's market. I don't care if it's $3 a pound, $4 a pound, $5 a pound. Get what you can afford. Enjoy every bite of it. And tell me thank you after you take your first inhale. Oh, it's Pluot season too, man. That's what I'm into these days. Oh yeah, them them. I don't know what the uh, the variety is called, but there are these crunchy green ones that have oh. like a yellow greenish. Uh, yeah, is that the dinosaur egg? Of them. It's not the dinosaur egg one. That's a little bit more purple to it. These ones are more like a bright green, and they got like a yellow gr- uh, greenish interior. They are uh, very delicious. Almost looks like a green apple, but a little bit smaller and a little bit plumper. Yeah, those green ones are good, man. The oh, samples. Yes, I don't even need to buy anything to take it home. I'm the guy going back into the sample tray with a fake mustache on. <laughs> oh yeah, you know the one. There's one stand in particular at my local farmers market that I love to frequent. You know, I buy about oh, it's got to be probably twenty dollars a week worth of fruit from them. And every single section, they've got you know fourteen different varieties of, the, of this, fifteen different varieties of that. Everyone has its own little bucket with toothpicks sitting right there. I'm gonna have to try everyone before I even buy any of them, of despite the fact that I try them every week. I know what they taste yeah, like. Yeah, you. We all know exactly what they taste like, but that didn't change the plan. You got to try them every listen, week. Listen, man, it's like walking through a Costco and not taking a sample. What do you do? Yeah, they expect it, right? I don't know. I have feel like to. We, you have to. We're it's doing the a Seinfeld episode. Of admission. That if I walk out of Costco without any samples and/or without a 150 hot dog, I've I've really messed something up along the way. Oh, you are absolutely right. Hey, welcome back to the Fruit Minute. I missed that. Oh, man, we're going to keep it going even into the winter. So when it's dark times of oranges, bananas, and apples, we'll get into that. It'll be harder, but we'll keep it going for you people because we know that you salivate over that. We will deliver the people what they want. (laughs) We'd better. Uh, Hey, I'm at Dan Bespris. I'll throw that in there, Ethan. I'll let you wrap things up on this one. It's weird to be the, the guest on a show that you used to host. Yeah, man, but you know we're happy to have you at any time. You can always follow me on Twitter. I am at Ethan underscore Noroff, and you can follow the Hoop ball lakers pod at hoopball lakers in case you forgot you can subscribe on apple Podcasts, leave us a five-star review and please feel free to hit me up anytime any place not really just on twitter unless you know me in person and just say hey i really want to get your thoughts on this what do you think about that thing that the lakers did we're always welcoming and integrating listener feedback so don't be shy okay it's the internet after all and apparently people want me to shave myself so we'll see about that dan shaves it all hashtag let's start it now for dan i'm ethan until next time we out. This has been a Hoop Bowl presentation. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.